Welcome back to the flip side, Galen Clavio, along with Brian Moritz, as we boldly go where no podcast has gone before, which is April of 2017. <laughs> I guess that's a lie. A lot of podcasts have gone there already, but, but, but we we but, ourselves have not yet. And nobody's so, done. It, and uh, nobody's done it with the charisma and spunk that we bring to the table every week. So right, yeah. Well, you know, you. You folks have decided, for whatever reason, to continue to tune into this thing, and and you're certainly doing it for our personalities because I can't think of any other reason at this point. So <laughs> we we appreciate that. We really, really do. And you know what? I think that I'm I'm sad because normally I would have just had a chance to see Brian, and I didn't this time because he was not at the conference that the rest of his uh, work companions were at. So. Brian, I'm sorry that we missed you. How how were things? What did you do by yourself uh, all alone <laughs> while we were all having fun? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it it does make it sound like I was living a hermit's life, you know, um, waiting by the phone, waiting for somebody to call me and let me know where the party was. It basically, was high school all over again this weekend? Um, no, maybe not the par- maybe not where the party was, but at least where the tacos were. Where the tacos were? Yes, that's what I was most jealous about. Um, yes, well, you guys were at the. Uh, uh, International Association of Common Sport, the IX conference in Phoenix. I was I was home in Rochester, and I spent most day most of the day Saturday while you guys were learning from each other, eating delicious tacos, going to Final Four practices, going to opening day, living the high life, eating In and Out Burger. I sat it. I sat my, most of the day in my office in my basement writing a paper for uh, for another conference that uh, a conference that was due. At 1 a.m. Saturday night, and I got it done with about uh, 70 minutes to spare. So, crushed it. That would that would be the AEJMC conference. Yes, yes. And our yes. friend and fellow IX uh, attendee and presenter Shannon McCarthy was my co-author and doing all the stats and getting them to me. And we were we were texting furiously to make sure that I knew how to read statistics, which is always kind of a always a. Uh, 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 kind of a toss of the coin, but uh, but other than that, it was good, and you know, I'm looking forward to hearing about what the conference was. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to next year because next year is in Bloomington, so yes. um, I've already I'm I've, I'm I'm coming no matter what um, because yes. I'm coming. Um, but so I'm looking forward to hearing about the conference. It's actually been I realized this year it's been three years since I've actually it's, I've missed the last three years of IAX. Um, I missed this year in Phoenix. Last year was Grand Rapids, and you we we did a paper together, but you went and I didn't. And the year before that, it was in Charlotte, and I was supposed to be there, but that was the day I got snowed out of my flight at JFK and didn't make it out of New York State that weekend. So Well, um, unfortunately, I think it's an upstate New York thing because we lost Ryan Voris oh, really? uh, for this weekend because he, too – uh, his flight got delayed. He he missed his connection in D.C. and then couldn't get on another flight out there in time. Oh. So, um, so we actually pulled off the rare. Ryan writes a bunch of stuff in the airport and then sends it to me, and I read it in dramatic fashion during our panel. Oh, very nice. It was nice. In fact, actually, if you're interested, and if anybody's interested, we uh, we Facebook live the whole panel discussion, oh, nice. and it's living on my Facebook page. Uh, and I'd wanted to do that for a while. Like it's that's been something I'd been hoping to do, uh, and was finally able to bring that dream to fruition uh, during this conference. The conference was good. I mean, the conference was 
you know, the from a from a content perspective, there were some interesting uh, comments uh, in terms of like the direction of research in the field, uh, which we should probably talk about off air. Um, there, uh, we we had a, a some good panels, some good discussions about you know a variety of different aspects of sport communication research, which I thought were good. The the activities around it were interesting. There was a uh, they they got us all on a bus to go watch Final Four practice, which was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we only got to see about forty five minutes of it, which wasn't so great. Um, but you know that's the way that it goes. We went to a spring training game, which was pretty cool. It was a little chilly that night, unfortunately. Um, it wasn't. It was like fifty degrees, but it was windy, so yeah. that that uh, put a little damper on things. Um, you know, the food was very good, um, and. Uh, you know, overall, I you know I enjoyed seeing everybody. I thought it was an interesting conference. Uh, you know, it's these continue to grow, and and I'm interested to see how it grows between this year and next year. Certainly, with it coming here to Bloomington. Yeah, absolutely, and we can talk more about the conference and everything around it because um, I am interested in seeing in, in kind of getting a feel for where where our this part of our field is going. Um, and, and it's interesting. And we're going to talk about that. Um, how, 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 how to describe that abomination of a college basketball game last oh night, the Carolina, um, Gonzaga game. Uh, but first, uh, but first, before we, we, we get to all that, um, what's your drink tonight? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not drinking tonight, but I will throw in a beer that I had this weekend, Oh, good. which uh, I thought was pretty good. The, the Arizona peach. Uh, which is uh, brewed by Four Peaks Brewing Company, which is a local Phoenix brewery. Um, good, smooth. Uh, you know the the peach flavor was not overwhelming by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. and not normally a huge fruit beer guy, but I I enjoyed that whole thing. It, the the fruit flavor never overwhelmed. Oh, very nice. So I have a uh, the Confiscator Doppelbach Lager from Three Heads Brewing here in Rochester. Um, nice. and it's very good, very kind of like heavier because it's a Doppelbach, it's a little heavier than a, a lager usually is, it has kind of that, that kind of like rich, almost caramel kind of feel to it. So it's an interesting taste. So, um, so airs, so, you know, we can talk about all this research, blah, blah, blah and stuff, but those tacos that I was seeing pictures of from Phoenix, um, like I've, yes. said, I've said on Twitter and I've said multiple times, like that's what I was most insanely jealous of and in and out burger, but in and out burgers, that's a generic West coast like thing that anybody time goes out there. Anybody, I've never had it cause I've never been out, haven't been out to the West coast in a very long time. So I'm always just kind of like want to go out there and, and have it. But so, so let's start with this. We'll start with the conference and move on and kind of chronologically. Had you ever been to Phoenix or that, or that, that part of Arizona before that part of the Southwest before? I had been twice. Um, the second time that I went was for Indiana's bowl game, which uh, you know comes across comes around about as often as unicorns riding bears. Um, <laughs> so that was 2007, and it was uh, Indiana versus Oklahoma State when Oklahoma State had Des Bryant and Indiana didn't have a whole hell of a lot. Right. That was fun. We were out there for a couple of days. Uh, we got destroyed in the bowl game, and then it was on New Year's Eve, so there was a New Year's Eve party, and um, there was a concert. It was the Bare Naked Ladies that were giving a concert really? in Phoenix, huh. uh, which I wasn't a huge fan of. And then compounding the issue was the fact that uh, Phoenix gets really cold 
in the winter time. Like not like freezing, but like you know, it was like forty five and windy. Right. That was among the coldest times I've ever had in my life. So, uh, previous time, I had been uh, back in two thousand and uh, gosh, it would have been two thousand and two. Um, in a desperate uh, search to find a new job before the job that I uh, was presently holding went under due to the team going bankrupt, I flew <laughs> out in the the morning to Phoenix because there was a job fair with the Central Hockey League that was going on there. Uh, so flew out, uh, did a couple connecting flights, got to Phoenix, um, got to the job fair, handed my resume out to a bunch of people, talked to a few people, had some dinner, then got right back on a plane and flew back the same evening. Oh, my God. Uh, so I didn't get to <laughs> see very much of Phoenix uh, at the time. Um so this was the first time I'd really had a chance to kind of uh, spend any sort of extended time out there. Uh, and, you know, we, I think we, we took advantage of it. We, we tried to go around and sample some of the local areas, sample some of the areas out, outside of the city, and uh, was pretty impressed overall with what I saw. Yeah, so how crazy was it? Because the Final Four was obviously there this weekend, too, in that area. So I imagine it was both cool and was it insane at all? Or was it is it like sprawling enough that you could avoid a lot of the a lot of that? It was pretty sprawling. I mean, like the downtown area I heard was lit on a couple of occasions, but we weren't close to the downtown area. We were up in a, a kind of a resort area in Scottsdale. Okay. And, and so... It was about a 20, 25-minute drive from downtown Phoenix to, to that part of Scottsdale. It was about a 30-minute drive from where we were in Scottsdale to Glendale, uh, where the, the Final Four was being held. <laughs> um, so, no, I, w- I mean, I talked to a lot of Lyft drivers, and, <laughs> and they certainly were, uh, you know, of, of the opinion that things were pretty crazy. But where we were at and what we saw, I don't think we ever saw anything that I would classify as such. Interesting. So, um, so I mean, I, I mean, just I mean, kind of. We can talk about the conference in a minute, but any other impressions of Phoenix, culinary-wise, places that people should know about going to in Phoenix, general. Um, well, I mean, the, the the pictures that caused you such angst, I think, it deserve an explanation. It, it was it wasn't so much angst as it was just bloodletting envy, really. Well, um, I mean, that's that's like a more extensive version of angst, isn't it? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So the place that we went, this was actually a recommendation of my mother-in-law, Lisa, because um, they go out every year for spring training to Phoenix. And so I was text. Well, so I think my wife told her that I was going, and, and she started texting me unsolicited but but appreciated with places that they go. And one the like one place that she mentioned for food that she really recommended was this place called the Taco Guild. I'm in. And, I, and sight uh, unseen. Yeah, and so the Taco Guild is this former church that the, they've taken the interior and they've basically just turned it into a big taco restaurant. And it was a bit of a wait. I think we had about a thirty minute, thirty five minute wait. Uh, no, you know, we had a party of 10, so that didn't help matters. And, and we actually probably could have had a party of even more than that. Like we already made our way over there. And then like when we, after we got there, a couple of people were like, Hey, we're coming. And I was like, crap, well, we don't have any room for you, but hopefully you can find, they actually ended up getting seated and served faster than we did. So <laughs> goes, that's the way it goes. But, um, you know, they, they, it was not terribly expensive. I mean, I had, I picked up an appetizer, had three tacos, 
which came with a, a whole ear of street corn. That's which what was, that was. Okay, I yeah. can I can decipher from the picture. Yeah, street corn with this kind of like mayo on it, which was really really good. And I had a margarita, and I think my whole bill um, with tip was forty dollars. Like wow. it was not it was not a terribly expensive meal by any stretch of the imagination. And so. Uh, so really good, really cool ambiance. Um, you know, the tacos were, were tasty. I had a shrimp taco and I had a, uh, a, a basically a tropical fish taco to go along with my car carnitas taco. So no complaints here. Everybody seemed to enjoy it and I would highly recommend going. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite taco filling taco like protein? I guess I have in, in uh, general, in general, I, See, it's tough because I have really, in the, in the couple of trips I've made to California over the course of the last few years, I've become a major, major uh, booster and proponent of seafood tacos yes. and fish tacos. Um, and I think actually my favorite protein taco is octopus because uh, octopus, I think, has a great flavor. It's chewy, but uh, but it's not like gross chewy by any means and it's it's a little off-putting but I, I don't know i just i love everything about the the flavor of octopus and the texture of octopus um here in the midwest you know i mean i go back and forth between a lot of things but i you know i, I really enjoy a good a good pork mm-hmm. uh in tacos i think i think a uh, good carnitas style pork uh, really generally works well particularly if you got corn tortillas which you should right uh, it's it's hard to go wrong with with carnitas. I, I, I'll agree with that. Now I I do have a question. I have probably many questions about the octopus tacos, but definitely one. But I would go that. I would go would go with the pork, either the uh, the carnitas or pork al pastor or something like that. And really, it really folks, this is the one thing you can take from our from this week's podcast. If nothing else, corn tortillas will change your taco Taco Tuesday or Taco Thursday game. They really do bring bring it up a huge huge notch. Highly recommended. There's, there's, I mean, and I'm not a, I don't hate flour. I think no, you know, flour, absolutely not. Flour, you know, has a very important role to play when it comes to like you know burritos or something like that. Like you can't really do a corn burrito very easily. But yeah, man, for tacos, it's it's really hard to go wrong with corn. Right. So do on the octopus tacos. Now I've had, I've had seafood tacos, but I've only had like the northeast like recreation of the California. So I'm, I, I'm withholding judgment on them. I do like a good seafood taco. The octopus, is it grilled? Do they fry it? How do they prep it? Generally it's grilled. Mm. And so it'll get a little charred and, you know, normally it, it you know, the, I've had it with, with cabbage and onion and, you know, maybe you know, it's almost like a slaw sure. sometimes. Um, but I've had it a couple of different ways, but most of the time what I've, what I've had has been grilled octopus. Uh, it, so it sounds almost like is it like calamari like similar ish not fried obviously but similar well no it's okay. i mean uh, well here's the thing calamari is mostly the body of the the uh, of the squid you know it's not octopus and so um you'll occasionally get some tentacles in calamari but they're almost always fried and and I love calamari i mean i could eat calamari every day but octopus, they'll take the tentacles. They'll normally like the, the tentacles get chopped off the body, and then they get grilled, and so um, they they firm up very quickly. And you know, they, they you still got the kind of like the sucker things on the 
on the on the, the the tentacles. It's hard to describe. I mean, the the, the flavor is it's unique. It's not gamey. It's not like overly fishy or anything like that. And the texture is is unlike most things that you eat because it's it's almost like spongy and chewy to a degree. And I know that might not sound appealing, but um, but it really is. It's almost like the, the you know calamari isn't far off from a texture perspective, but okay. it's a little more robust uh, in in the tentacle. Huh. Um, did you have, speaking of calamari, did you ever hear the, this American life story where they looked at the, uh, they, they tried to investigate or they investigated the, this story that was going around that a lot of calamari that's sold in restaurants is actually pork bung. I, I had not, no, that, that was, that, that, I had missed that one. It's worth, it's worth digging up. I'll, I'll throw it in the show notes to it, but yeah, there's this. There, they did. They did a, lo- a a full this American life story, so like sixteen minutes, where the story was that that most calamari that you order in a restaurant is actually pork bung, which is exactly what you. If you don't know what pork bung is, it's exactly what you think pork bung is. Right. Um, and, and 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 I think if if memory serves, it's been a few years since I've listened to it, but the reporter actually found some pork bung. I for you know. Where, where one does and cooked it like calamari and was trying to, to see if it was feasible that, that, that the two can, can co can that, that pork bung could be used as calamari. And I, if, again, if memory serves, it does taste enough like it that like most people, not like maybe someone who really loves calamari or like, it's kind of like a foodie, like you're not a foodie like yourself, but um, someone who like, really recognizes and is in tune with flavors wouldn't know it, but like Johnny Sue at the Olive Garden wouldn't know the difference between the two. Um, I think you got to be careful. I mean, I generally don't order calamari from chain restaurants right. uh, for that reason. And, you know, most of the places that, um, you know, I mean, who knows, maybe, maybe I've unwittingly ordered uh, what you're talking about here. Uh, that would be disappointing. Certainly <laughs> if I find that out, but um yeah, that's uh, thanks for ruining my my evening. I appreciate that. You're welcome. You're welcome. I mean, you do have to be careful where you order your fried cellophoids from. Um, so anything. So I mean, you, you mentioned the conference. You mentioned some of the research, and I'm just curious. And like you said, we'll talk about this more probably um, off the call or off air. But I'm I'm wondering what some of the kind of like if there were any big takeaways from the actual conference conference from the. Uh, was there like an overarching, you know, I, I don't know, conferences tend to have a theme, but nobody sticks to it. They just have a theme because like you have to have a theme for the poster or something. But like, was there kind of like an overarching area of research that got a lot of attention, kind of an overarching idea of of, of what was found or what was talked about? Well, I mean, the uh, the keynote of the conference was, was Dr. Larry Wenner, nice. uh, who... Most Le- people, yeah, a legend in our. If you're not in sports com research, he is. He's the Paul McCartney, John Lennon of our field. He's right, rocks absolute rocks. It's more the, He's more like the Chuck Berry. Oh, I would say. right, uh, Chuck Berry you know. without the. Let's give him Bob Dylan. There we go, Bob Dylan. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, whatever. The, how about the Buddy Holly? Is Fine. that better? Perfect. Jeez, uh, <laughs> you're over. You're kind of sensitive tonight. Uh, <laughs> No, um, you know, but his his keynote um, really, you know, he, he did he did the thing where he kind of laid out his vision of what the the scholarship in the area was, and, and seemed to be indicating that he felt that there needed to be 
uh, a lot more contributions and uh, from and invitations uh, to sports sociologists um, as far as like you know being a part of the conference and um, contributions to journals and things of that nature. Okay. So uh, that that got a lot of buzz, um, you know, and and there's there were some there was some back and forth about what uh, what and how that message really kind of implied. Um, you know, beyond that, though, I mean, I don't know if there was really an overarching theme per se. I think, I think for a lot of people, um, you know, the I know we did a panel where we tried to, you know, focus on on social media research and the implications of what we've seen over the last really eight or nine years. And you know, my message out of that to people was basically that we're, you know, we're we're seeing an interesting trend. I think in, in the reviews and in the way that journals handle social media research, because uh, I don't think that the understanding of, of what's going on in social media or where it's headed is necessarily all there yet. Okay. And so we had a, a nice discussion about that. And, you know, I think that from a, I mean, the, the field is definitely split between several different areas. I mean, you get the rhetoricians, You've got the people focusing mainly on on sociological issues, and then I think you've got you know people that are focusing on kind of functional user issues, but also you know trying to look at users from more of a psychological approach rather than a sociological approach. And so that that was pretty obvious as we as we sat through some of the the meetings and, and some of the the conversations that were going on in and around the presentations. And yeah, you know, I thought it was healthy. It was good. It gave it gave a, a lot of us some ideas we, we've got a robust discussion going online right now about uh, some directions and and um that's that's always good excellent very cool yeah i do miss this conference it's the the uh it's my it's always been my favorite academic conference um it's where we met it's where i met a lot of uh, our mutual friends um and it it, it it is you know one of the things I've always found, and forgive me, listeners, if I've told the story on the podcast before, but as someone, you know, most of my 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 research is kind of focused. The sociology kind of made me raise my eyebrows because I do a lot of sociology of news and sociology of journalism is kind of my thing, and so a lot of my stud my area of study is in journalists and how journalists do their jobs and all that, and how sports journalists do their jobs and blah blah blah, and so. I can remember it was at a it was at an AEJMC conference, which is another one of the kind of like the flagship conferences in our field. And it was in oh god, so this must have been in Chicago uh, about four or five years ago. And I had a, a poster presentation that was based on research I had done for that was turning I was uh, my master's thesis and it was turning into my dissertation. And, and a guy came around, and he was talking to me, and he's a professor, I think, at the University of Houston. And I mentioned to him, I sa- and he said, you know, what are you doing, what are you going to do going forward on this? I'm like, I'm going to do this on my dissertation, and I want to focus it on sports reporting and sports journalists. And he looked at me like I seriously had just killed his cat, and could <laughs> not could not for the life of, life of him figure out why I would want to waste my time studying the sports desk. Who cares about the sports desk? Study the news desk. That's the heart of the newsroom. That's what matters. Sports is, and he, and he didn't say the toy department, but that was like the, the, the implicit message on it. And what's great about, about a conference like IAX is you're, it, 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 it's a conference of sports people. 
you know, of all all shapes and sizes, and no matter what you study and kind of how you study it, at the end of the day, it's a sports conference, and it's one where I, you know, I've you know very much felt professionally at home throughout the years. Um, and, and 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 it is interesting to see to think about how the field and how the research is shifting because it's one of those weird things where like sports com is very much an umbrella because we study all we all study sports, but it's very much. Oh God, I'm going to sound like an academic, and I'm sorry. It's very much interdisciplinary, but you're yeah. br- you're bringing in a lot of like I study news, I study journalists, but I focus on sports, so I'm at a sports conference. Studying social media can bring in a lot of different areas, but it's still kind of under the sports umbrella. So I always find it really interesting how very divergent a lot of our research is, and I think that's good because I think it. It, it opens us up to different areas of collaboration and different different worldviews and different and different theoretical approaches and different ways to think through things rather than you know kind of you can kind of get in your little you know an academic silo where you where you study one thing in a given way and you kind of beat it to death and and I don't know it's one one of the many reasons I've always loved loved IAX and the conference and the research that goes on there. Yeah, I agree. No, I've been to every one since. 2012 maybe or 2011 the the one i think it was 2011 and i i enjoy it a lot it's it's uh it's one i make sure to attend every year and yeah i mean you know sports has has been kind of relegated to the corner for a long time it's it's ironically kind of becoming in vogue because i think people are finally waking up to how culturally important sports are to a wide number of people but it's taken, you know, it's taken a while to get there, and it'll be interesting to see where it goes from there. But yeah, the, this conference has, has always been an excellent one to attend. And next year it's Bloomington, so if it doesn't happen before then, next year at this time we'll be having the first ever live uh, Flipside podcast. That is accurate, and in fact, um, we're you know we've got the we got the couch reserved downstairs for you. Yeah. So just uh, just let us know when. Awesome. So the other thing we have to talk about, uh, we finally reached the end of the NCAA tournament last night. Um, and amazingly, I won two of the three pools I was in. Wow. Because I had no, because I, I, I had Carolina winning it all, which was, and, and, and I'm, I, I'm admitting it here publicly for the first time. I literally changed my pick to Carolina winning the, the title the day, the Thursday, like at like 1030 in the morning. So brackets closed at like noon. When started, I had UCLA winning all week, and then last minute I chickened out and went Carolina, and it ended up yeah. working out for me because I won two. I won both of my brackets, which is the the secret. One of the secrets to winning, to doing well in brackets, make sure you you think through who you're going to have win the national championship because in a lot of these brackets the points are staggered, so you get I want to say like in the ESPN one like 320 points for winning for for if your team wins the national championship. And we talked about this before. I feel like everybody sweats the first round or the first two rounds. Make sure you get the final four right or the championship game right, and then that's a and, and, and rather than worrying about the seven ten game in the southeast bracket because that's a, that that that's such a pick 'em. Um, right. But 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 last night's game. I mean, Jesus Christ, that was terrible. I was I was offended because I stayed up late for it. I hadn't slept much all weekend between being up for the paper and then just general insomnia and not being able to sleep. And I didn't think I'd make it, but I put on the game and I watched the first half. And the first half was not, it was entertaining. It was not good basketball. 
by any stretch of the imagination. Nobody could, you know, Carolina couldn't hit a shot. But it was entertaining. It was back and forth. There was a good flow. And then the second half happened. And between the refs and the refs and just kind of like bad, uh, like long, long, bad stretches of, of shooting, that was, that, w- that was the classic. It's a close game toward the end, but it was not at all a good game. I, I mean, I love basketball. Um, the NCAA tournament is always my favorite event of the year. This was a really bad tournament as a whole. I was really underwhelmed with it. And that, 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 that championship game, people were going back and forth on Twitter about whether that was a worse game than the 2011 final between UConn and Butler. I actually think last night was worse because the Butler game and, you know, Butler, UConn, I mean, that, game featured a couple of teams who I think everybody was a bit surprised to see there. And frankly, you know, Butler had punched way over its weight the whole tournament and they just couldn't shoot. I mean, Gonzaga, we knew could shoot North Carolina. We knew could shoot. And unfortunately, neither of them shot well, neither of them played well, but there was just no flow to the game. And it was mostly due to the officials. I mean, the officiating, that might have been the worst major event officiating I've ever seen in any sporting event. The only, uh, yeah. yeah. The only it's thing t- you can say about the officiating was that at least it was it was just, like like for the most part, I think we'll, we'll probably disagree on this, but for the most part, it was bad both ways. Like Carolina had the got the advantage of it, I think, but it was not like the the only one other one the officiating game that comes to mind is like the Seattle Pittsburgh Super Bowl from, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, where, like, it were, there were a lot, but that was very one, perceived to be a one-sided officiating game, or this was just terrible all the way around. I mean, it it made it a, a, it made it a poor product to watch. Yeah, it did, and I mean, I think it hurt Gonzaga more than it hurt North Carolina. I mean, Gonzaga had a clear personnel edge on the interior, and the officials took it away from them. Absolutely. By by, by the number of fouls and the types of fouls that they called. You know, they used replay in the worst way possible by ex post facto assigning a flagrant foul on what a play that should never have been even remotely considered a flagrant foul. Um, You know, missing the obvious out of bounds on North Carolina at the end. I mean, there were just a lot of things that. Uh, you know, you, you looked at, uh, and yeah, I mean, the officiating was bad on both sides, uh, but it seemed like all the crucial calls pretty much went against Gonzaga. Sure. And uh, look, I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't really, if people were trying to make it into a, oh, this was a compelling ending. And it really, I, at the end of it, I was just kind of trying, just hoping that I could, it would end. At, right. uh, you know, I mean, I, I, there was very little suspense and very little interest in, and my part, and I was irritated that I stayed up the whole time, and I was really frustrated at the end of the game because it just – it's like they took what could have been a really good game and they ruined it, and they've been doing that to college basketball all season. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, 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 it was like, the, it was like the, the bastard culmination of the worst excesses of officiating within college basketball this year. Absolutely. I actually – I was looking – I was obsessed with this this morning. I was looking over the play-by-play. Um, there was, um, so a couple things, there was a, a, a stretch of like a minute 23 of gameplay in the first half where there were seven fouls called in a minute 23 early in the second half. 
by in the first 425 of the first half, there were 11 fouls called. Team, you know, it was six five Gonzaga, and you know, once you get at that point, you know that 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 first, you know, after less than five, you know, le- yeah, like 425. So before the first media timeout, there were already 11 fouls. One team was in the bonus, and one team was about to enter the bonus. And yeah, it just. You know, like I said, the first half was not good basketball by any stretch of the imagination. But the game flowed. It went back and forth. You know, they traded leads, and it was I was kind of settled in. and like, okay, this is going to be at least somewhat entertaining. I don't know if it's good. I don't get too caught up in whether it's a good game or not. I was entertained, and it was it was it was good. But within that first fifteen minutes of of, of real time. Watching the second half as as the fouls build up, it was just like it it did it it completely like pulled the plug on the game. It pulled all the excitement out of it. It kind of sucked all the air out of it. I mean, I I like I was doing math this morning. That's how pissed off I was. There were there was an average foul called every twenty four seconds during that first four minutes of the yep. of the. That's le- that's more than a foul per possession, given the way college basketball works. And and it was interesting looking back at it because and 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 so I mean. I agree with you. I was most pissed off because I stayed up late for that, and I didn't get any value for that. Um, but it, but the, the the crazy thing about it was it was not, to me, an overly physical game that warranted a lot of foul calls. No. It was no, it was an average... It was an average, best, averagely played. Yeah, no, I mean, this isn't, this isn't Pitt, West Virginia. No, you know? I no. mean, it's... It, um, and that, that was... That was, you know, among the most frustrating things. It's just, it was just, it was so. It seemed to be officials scared to death that they would be looked at as not being in control, okay. overcalling things left and right. So I have a theory on on how the, on how the second half got got out of, out of hand from them. Because um, I want to talk about officiating. Because I'm really, I'm, I, I think that's an important topic uh, for, about college basketball going forward. Um, because I don't think that it's a, a question of refs thinking they're part of the show or bigger than the show. I don't. I, I didn't get that sense from the refs last night. This was not like Ted Valentine doing a big show call or anything like that. So I don't think they're like. I I, I don't think that you know it's like Joe West ego run amok of of, of officiating. To me, your mileage may vary on that. Yours and the listeners may vary on it, but I, I never got that sense. Um, but but so I, again, I was looking over the play by play, and not see, so just seeing it stark. They, they Carolina got banged for three quick fouls in the in the second half, like in the first minute and a half, they got three quick fouls, and then right after that is when that horrible stretch of like seven fouls in a minute and a half came up, and so and so like the theory, my theory is the refs. It, it, they, they, it, like you said, it got away from them. They, 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 like, you know, I, I feel like it's that that. Well, we've got to have it even. We got to kind of even it up, and then it snowballed on them. And like, I, I, and it, it was in a way I was feeling like I feel like the I, I wanted the refs to call a timeout early on, like it was a run getting away from them. Like you know, the team gives up like three threes and a couple steals, and they call a timeout to kind of settle them down and get back in it. Like, Gonzaga had a great timeout in the first half, and they settled down. You almost want the refs at some point to be able to take a timeout and just, like, settle themselves down so that they don't, you know, they don't keep getting caught up in it. And then, like, I think it just got away from them. And then by the time anyone looked up, this, you know, the game happened, the game game happened like it did. So... There's been a a lot of comments about... You know, 
the you know the, so the women's game has gone to a quarters system, yes. um, and the NIT for the men this year went to a system where they didn't have quarters, but they reset the fouls after every ten minutes. Right, that ridiculous sounding rule that we talked about a few weeks ago. So a lot of people in the aftermath of the game last night decided that this would be a great time to bring up this idea that, oh, we need to have quarters. You know, the quarters would help solve a lot of this. And, you know, or at the very least doing what they did in the NIT and resetting the fouls after 10 minutes. And my response to that is pretty straightforward. It's like if if you're going to quarters primarily to keep the officials from screwing the game up, maybe the problem isn't quarters. problem is the officials. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and this, this has become a constant thing. I mean, there's just – you know, we uh, we added replay. We added replay to the college game. I think it was this year. Maybe it was last year. But we added replay in the final couple of minutes and, and in special situations. And what we found is that officials are so afraid that they're going to be dinged for not making the right call that they're they're basically over-officiating the game. They're, they're calling things that would never have been called unless – you had gone back and looked at a replay for them and leaving other calls, which, you know, maybe we should be replaying, uh, you know, not called or not reviewed. It's basically just made, um, you know, and you mean, you know me, I'm a huge technology fan, but this is a rare instance where the way that they have utilized technology has actually made the game demonstrably worse. And the people who are doing the replay seem to have no clue how to exercise discretion and, and and nobody in the involved seems to have any clue as to how inconsistent they've suddenly made the game by only looking at certain things and you know creating situations where there's just like tremendous inconsistency across the board. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, my feelings on replay. I'm very actually conflicted on replay, despite my Twitter bravado about it. I actually am conflicted about it because you do want to make sure that you get the call. You, you, the game is not does not hinge on a mistake that that Gonzaga can't look at that out of bounds play where the Carolina guy had his hand out of bounds when he was touching the ball should have been out of bounds. It should have been Gonzaga ball with like 40 seconds left or something like that in a close game. You know, that did not cost Gonzaga the game. I, I, I firmly believe that, but you don't want Gonzaga to th- any or anybody to think, yeah, but what if they kind of got hosed and should have had a chance that they didn't get. Are you sure? Are you sure? I mean, I've heard that a lot. It didn't cost them the game. I mean, it gave Carolina the ball. Well, it gave, them a fre- it gave them a fresh 30 on the shot clock, and they were able to hit a shot after Gonzaga had played a whole possession where they had defended the ball properly and would have had the ball down one with 50 seconds left. But but it did not cost them the game in that you can't say that Gonzaga would have made the game, would, would have then scored on that possession or overcome the lead or not turned the ball over or done something stupid. So Well, but, but, but I mean, I don't know. I think saying you can say that that's the case but by the same token it also robbed them of the opportunity to have that chance no question but you can't say gonzaga you can say gonzaga was hosed i don't think you can say that call cost gonzaga the game it cost them mm-hmm. an opportunity different thing well that's kind of but that's kind of costing them the game no it's not i mean if you no, if it, no, no well no, no, if, no. It, if it costs you the opportunity then you've it basically co- been cost the game with 50 seconds left it costs sure. you it costs you an opportunity not the opportunity they, it cost no that was pretty much the opportunity they had they were down one they would have had the ball why not and it went, they, they could have gotten a stop Carolina but they, shouldn't, but the they shouldn't have had to have gotten a stop no i 
I, they I, already I, got a stop on that possession. I, I I realize that, but you cannot. I I'm not I'm not budging on this. You can't draw the straight line that that call get that you the logical extension of that is Gonzaga would have won the game had they gotten that 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 they if they had gotten that call right. And I re, and I don't accept that. Um, but anyway, kind of moving away from moving moving. To the larger point, I mean, I my hatred of replay is completely as a consumer and as a viewer. Like, my hatred of it is the oh good five minutes sit standing around a monitor looking at looking at something, or the hey there's a great last second shot let's wait a minute before to make sure that it, that that it went in and kind of that delayed moment of gratis of gratification. It's a purely kind of sports fan emotional thing. That that that's my 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 thing on replay. But also like 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 you said, there's like weird things that can't be reviewed. Like like somebody said on Twitter, and this could be totally wrong. But somebody said on Twitter that they didn't, they couldn't go to replay on that Carolina play because it was called a jump ball and not out of bounds, and because it was called jump ball, it's not reviewable. And if if that's true, I don't know. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Email Galen if I'm wrong. If it's wrong, that's stupid. Like, I, I, I it, it's that weird, like it's that weird thing, like in baseball, where we want replay, but we don't want it on balls and strikes, which has never made any sense to me. But like the 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 corollary to that with replay is, you get the plays now in baseball where they they review a, a tag at second on a steal, and the guy beats the throw and he's safe, but like in the process of sliding, like his leg bounces a millimeter off the bag, like imperceptible to anything but HD camera. And now we can see that, and now he's called out, even though he beat the throw and was safe. But like, or like the toe drag in hockey, or something like that. It's just it's gotten so lawyerly and so minutiae that I think you're right, and I think that's that that'd be an interesting thing to study with referees. Is you know, I, I think we all have the sense that they referee scared, or they referee um, kind of hesitantly because of this. Um, and there was a great chapter in scorecasting, and this is a couple years old now. But the the chapter in scorecasting basically said what changed the home field advantage was instant replay, um, and the fact that refs that home teams no longer got all a lot of like the the random fumble calls or like a lot of the calls that like that are overturned by replay now. Before replay, those more often than not went toward the home team, and the refs were influenced by the home crowd and atmosphere and all that. And that's less the case now because because of instant replay, but it, but it has had a tangible effect in how, uh, in how the game is, and how the game is reffed. And, you know, regardless of, regardless of our difference opinion on that last minute, like it completely changed the complexion of that game. Like Gonzaga had, had to change its offense. It did, couldn't go inside like it wanted to. And it had the advantage inside. Um, who's the player who had four fouls, most of the half for Gonzaga, the guy who fouled out, um, Collins Collins. Yeah. Um, one of their better big men and kind of a good counterpoint and, and a good player down there. He was on the bench and, and, and you're limited in, in how a game, in how a game is called. And, um, and in a close game, that stuff makes the difference. Um, so we talk about refs a lot and you are, have very strong opinions on officiating as we've talked about a lot. How do we fix this? I mean, I mean, first of all, what's the, you know, we have the vague problem of the, the officiating sucks specifically what's the, what do you see as the problem and kind of what do you see as ways like how can we make it better professionalize them okay i mean look at the end of the day 
you've got this is the problem with college sports is you know the conferences don't want to pay the officials a full-time salary um which is crazy when you consider the amount of money that's involved in each game it's not like they're paying the players or anything so yeah it almost makes you think that maybe there's a reason they want to have officials that aren't uh you know full-time but anyway um the um the the way i look at it is this particularly in the ncaa tournament and you have to have people that know what they're doing that that are are professionals right now it's just a it's a it's a mishmash you know i mean you get uh, officials from each conference or from various conferences. They work through, they get graded, and then they they're moved on. Uh, and I don't believe they're moved on in teams, which I is a mistake. That, yeah, right. Uh, so you you know you compound the problem of having part time officials with having officials that aren't used to working together, mm-hmm. and and that's a that's a big dynamic. And and look, ultimately, if we've seen anything over the course of the last couple of years, it's that officials don't know how to call a game in a way that is consistent and fair. And it's, you know, the number of games I saw this year where there were either no fouls called or 14 fouls were called in the first six minutes of the second half. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it was just like, there's, there's no consistency from game to game. I mean, I watched every IU basketball game this year and you know, it's the same team. You're playing for the most part the same sorts of opponents, and you know you'll have one game where foul trouble will be minimal. You'll have another game where everybody's in foul trouble almost immediately, and it's just like, you know, there there needs to be more consistency in the way that these games are officiated. I mean, you know, I think basketball is probably the sport that's the most susceptible to inconsistent officiating because if you look at the other sports. I don't think the officiating is as obtrusive as it is in basketball. Right. Um, you know, and, and, you know, every, every, everything that, ha- every stoppage of play in basketball is because of something an official does. Uh, you know, whereas that's not the case in football. It's not the case in hockey. It's not the case in, in baseball. And so it's, basketball is probably the sport where it's the most important that officials know what they're doing, are confident in what they're doing, and, you know, are, you know, are being trained consistently for that to be their primary thing. And instead what we get is uh, guys who do stuff on the weekends or do, do this stuff on the weekends and then they're doing other things the rest of the week. I mean, you're, you're just, you're not going to get the same quality level. It's going to be very inconsistent and that's exactly what you see out on the floor on a regular basis. Yeah. And it, 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 it's maddening. And you see that in a lot of sports too. I mean, football, the officials are part-time, um, and that's, you know, it, it, it's probably not surprising that those are the two sports that have the most loudest um, referee problems. You know, yeah. I don't, you know, hockey doesn't have a lot, of, you know, it doesn't seem like it, the NHL has, you know, the biggest NHL rule thing that I see on Twitter, you know, and I mostly follow people around here, around Buffalo and around Rochester, is complaining about the toe drag on, on offsides call, where like a guy is like discovered to be like a, a like the toe pick of his skate offside 30 seconds before a goal is scored and they call it back because of offsides or something or, or, or something like that. Um, and baseball, like I said, there's a few like, like introducing replay issues, you know, introducing replay, which is a whole other complicated thing, but it seems like, yeah, the, 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 the sports where there are, there are the fewest, um, where you don't have full-time officials. Um, and, 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 and basketball is also, you know, 
Also, I feel like it is one of the most oddly subjective sports to try to officiate um, because it's, you know, con, you know, guy, guy, dry, guy at top of the key drives the lane. Defender kind of puts his arm out on him. You know, you, you've seen this, you see this play a hundred times a game. Kind of puts his arm on him and the guy and, and makes contact. Is that a hand check? Is that an arm bar foul? Or is that just play on, play through it? it and, and, and it's, and it's gotta be maddening for players and coaches to, you know, what ref is going to call that way, which way, and especially if there's no, you know, refs seem, you know, probably have different ways of calling it from game to game. So it's, yeah, it's so, and and, and you're right. I hadn't thought about the obtrusiveness about uh, of basketball refs. And, and, you know, I feel like more than anything else, they can have an impact on the, uh, on the, the, the most impact on the flow of a game than anything else. Than any other sport, I should say. I just think, you know, I mean, you, you've got if you're, you know, if, you, if you're a if you're a college basketball official right now, you're making on average about two thousand dollars a game, and you're refing about seventy games a year. Right. So you're making almost one hundred and fifty grand. Surely, for one hundred and fifty grand the the leagues could get together or the, you know, the conferences could get together and and you know pick a group of officials that they have that they just professionalize and they they constantly train and they constantly uh, officiate games and that's that's their job their job is to be really really good at officiating mm-hmm. um, and then you could take those same people and have them officiate the NCAA tournament. Uh, I mean, this is not rocket science, right? But but what we've seen over the course of I think the last couple of seasons is, it's just it just it, it's a it's caused the college game, which went through this whole rule change thing a couple of years ago. You know, they they shortened the shot clock to thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. They tried to put rules in that would you know allow freedom of movement. They do all of those things, and yet the things that affect the freedom of movement, namely the officials, they just they haven't taken the steps necessary to make sure that they're getting good product out of that. So right. I, I hate the fact that it ruined, in my opinion, ruined an NCAA title game, but it also seemed to kind of ruin the, the the large sections of the tournament in general. I mean we saw we saw several calls throughout the course of the tournament that just made you scratch your head and you're like, you know what how how is that possible? Right. That that that's being called that way. And unfortunately I don't. I don't see a change on the horizon. Like this is not a group of people that that changes easily or or you know out of any. They only change. It seems like when they absolutely are forced to by terrible PR. And I guess one of my biggest frustrations about all of this is as bad as that officiating was, and as much as people were talking about it during the game, after the game was over, everybody just stopped talking about it. Right. Uh, you know, people in the media were just like, oh, well, hey, North Carolina is the champs. And that was that. And wow, Gonzaga is really being sportsmanlike and not talking about the officials like, OK, they shouldn't necessarily have to be the ones that talk about the officials. That should be all of the people that were paid to watch the game and report on it and comment on it. You should be taking the NCAA to task this morning and right. the next morning and the next morning. And I never see that. Right. And, you know, I was I was talking about this on, on on Twitter last night. You know, I would love that if referees had to had to had to have a press conference and had to answer questions from the media about it, and you know, get that kind of level of public accountability that players and, and, and coaches have. 
Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, you bring up the idea of sportsmanship, and, and I hadn't thought of that before. But it's a really fascinating way to think about it. Is that you know Gonzaga is being praised? You're always see you know when somebody rips the refs, they're always kind of cast as a poor sport. You know that's how we frame the, the coverage of it. They're not being sportsmen like they're blaming the refs. Um, they're whiners. They're complainers. Blah 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 blah. Whatever. And 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 by converse, you know you don't blame. You know, we didn't blame the refs. We had opportunities. They're kind of praised for their sportsmanship. And 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 you know I don't dis- necessarily disagree with that as as kind of like a working attitude. But you're right. You know what was everybody talking? About? You know my my old boss used to tell me news is what people are talking about. What was literally Everybody on Twitter and people who were watching the game talking about last night, how shitty the officials were, how how the officials ruined the game, and how they, they made the second half really terrible. Um, yeah. And look, officials can have you know, I you know, the systemic issues aside, maybe they had a bad night. It happens. Maybe they the, like maybe my theory was right. Maybe it kind of got away from them early and they couldn't catch up, and you know they miss a call and oh crap. That happens. That's fine. They're humans. Um, but but it it, it, it kind of sweep. It, but you're right to kind of sweep it all under the rug and kind of pretend that it wasn't a big issue. It was a big issue. I mean, I mean, it's their marquee. It's you know the final is is you know ostensibly the NCAA's marquee event, and, and it took away from it. It it, it absolutely did. Um, so you were hating on the whole tournament as a whole. Since I won my bracket, I think this was the greatest tournament ever played in 2017 will be remembered, you know, lionized in history. But in, <laughs> in general, aside from like the officiating stuff we talked about, I mean, in general, what was your malaise with the tournament? I just thought that outside of maybe day four, there just wasn't a whole lot to grab onto with the tournament. There weren't a lot of like tremendous games or tremendous moments in the tournament. In my, in my opinion, I mean, you know, you look at, you look down the the list of games and, you know, frankly, I mean, the first, the first two rounds, we had very few upsets. We had very little, um, very, very little that stood out, you know, from a drama perspective, the second round was a little bit better, you know, I mean, Wichita State, Kentucky was a pretty good game, and um, you know, Gonzaga Northwestern was fine. Uh, there were a couple of others. Wisconsin in the second round. Sure, sure, yeah, Wisconsin beating Villanova. That was fucking. You know, I was again, it was good, but it wasn't great. The Sweet Sixteen games, you know, it really was. You know, Oregon, Michigan, and, and Florida, Wisconsin. I think were the only ones that like you felt like from start to finish were really great games. I mean, Gonzaga, West Virginia was, was fine. And then West Virginia just kind of brain locked at the end. Same thing with Xavier, Arizona, to some degree, Mm -hmm. the elite, the elite eight games didn't do a tremendous amount for me. I mean, you know, the, the only one that was really close, um, you know, was, was that at the end was the UNC Kentucky game. And I mean, that, that was great if you're a UNC fan. I mean, I'm sure you loved that. I did, yes. Um, you know, and then the final four games, I mean, they were both close. But, I again, I wouldn't call either of those games good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, the, the it's – I don't know. I, it was, it's interesting because from the standpoint of like, you know – uh, the, a lot of the arguments that get made about college basketball is like, oh, you need NBA guys – to make it to the final four. And yet we didn't see a tremendous amount of those on any of the teams that played, 
you know, and and the games that were played, they they tended to be kind of offensively somewhat stodgy affairs. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, mean, I don't know. I just I've watched a lot of really great tournaments in my lifetime, and this this one pr- frankly ranks towards the bottom for me. Okay, I I I, I yeah, I mean. You know the tournament for me is always weird because it's always the first, the first day, the first two days are always my favorite, and the first weekend is always my favorite, and then it, it so reverts the chalk. And I like the final four and I like the final game, but it, it, there's there, there's a drop off for me. Um, you know, I did like a lot. You know, I did, I I, I did like like the first the first couple rounds. I know the like the Friday of the tournament was kind of a bust. Um, the Friday of the first round. But like the Michigan story was great. I, I I I did enjoy it enough, but there you know it's one of those things too that like the tournament is always in such a it's a weirdly no win situation. It's funny we were just talking about hot takes and right not avoiding writing hot hot takes in my sports writing class, and it's funny because you can compl- you know you can say this tournament you know it's chalk it's a one and a one and that's terrible in the final and that's not what the NCAA tournament is about. But the opposite of that is when you have a Cinderella run and it's like there are no great teams anymore. Now a VCU and and Butler and all these teams are making it in and it's not you know there's no elite dynasties anymore. Um, and, and, and it's kind of like that, that, you know, you can write your, if you can write your column in advance without, and fill in the blanks of team names, you know, you've kind of gone around the bend of hot take, but, but you're right. This tournament did seem to be, it it seemed to be missing that certain something, but again, then, you know, I feel like the tournament is graded on such a curve that, um, that it can be hard for a lot of, it can be hard to live up to. I guess. I mean, I'm, I, you, you may be right. I don't know. I've I've watched uh, enough of these that I feel like I can give an, you know, a pretty even even keeled analysis of of how they stack up. And right. yeah, this one just didn't for me. No, so, and, I, yeah, and, I, and I it is what it is. Yeah, and I absolutely you know your your opinion on it is someone is one that I absolutely trust overall on it. So and yeah, it was it did feel like it was kind of missing a, a certain that certain I don't know electricity to it. That certain gotta watch it quality to it i don't know it, there was something lacking and i'm having trouble putting my exact finger on what it is yeah no i get you so um all right so we have uh, once again we've helped a lot of people today um, i think so we we helped we, we 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 helped the ncaa's one of these days they're going to listen to us and uh, and reform <laughs> not while i'm for- not while i'm co-hosting <laughs> they're not but anyway yeah um <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's good stuff, and uh, we'll be back. I don't know what we're going to talk about next week. Basketball's over. Um, we might. Indiana's end up got a coach. I mean, what yeah. Else? Well, we got we got that. I mean, the hockey playoffs are getting ready to start. The Maple so, Leafs are back in the playoffs. Yes, the Sabers uh, are far from it. Um, well, yeah, that was a given. That, but uh, right, we'll figure something out. But and, uh, no, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, and I was going to say if you have anything you want us to, to talk about, guaranteed, uh, spend one minute, hit us up at hashtag FlipsidePod or one of us on Twitter, and uh, we'll talk. And uh, we'll, we will talk about literally anything. So at this point, yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for catching us here, folks. If you want to catch up with us on Twitter, it's at BP Moritz and at Doctor GC um, for. Brian, I'm Galen. Uh, thanks for catching us, folks, and we'll uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. So long, everybody. <laughs>